crush your menopause sugar cravings in time for warm weather fun with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. Delicious, keto, and intermittent fasting-friendly. These bars help women manage weight and energy during all stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code KD10. Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. If you are tuning into this show, chances are you are generation raised on Sesame Street, and this is going to sound familiar. Today's show is brought to you by the letter P, P as in pivots, portfolio careers, and pretty ripe, which is a lifestyle newsletter and platform for women over 40. I'm joined today by multi-hyphenate Monica Corcoran Harrell a journalist, screenwriter, former cosmetics executive, and the founder of Pretty Ripe. Monica launched Pretty Ripe to fill the void left by women's magazines, which now largely cater to a younger demographic. Every week she covers beauty, fashion, feminism, health, and hormones, all of the good stuff. Welcome, Monica. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I'm, I'm so excited. I've been following uh, your content over Instagram. I subscribe to your newsletter. I love everything that you share. And when I was prepping for this show, I was back on your website, and I noticed that you say women over 40 deserve content that speaks to their wants and needs. And obviously, I agree. But I'd love to um, hear from you about what made you look around and realize the media was no longer really serving women in midlife. Sure. It's interesting. I actually aged out of the magazines that I was writing for, which is wild. Um, I've been a journalist for about 25 years. And I was writing for magazines like Elle and Marie Claire and InStyle. And when I hit my mid-40s, I started pitching my editors uh, story ideas like, you know, what about a midlife, sh midlife shift, quitting your job at 45? Or what happens when you go into perimenopause? Or when you wake up one morning and you realize, oh, my God, I'm not glowing anymore. What's happening with my skin? <laughs> And my editors, some of whom were my peers, would respond, these are great ideas. Unfortunately, we can't write about these stories to these women because our advertisers see our audience as tapping out around, I think I heard 36, 38, early 40s. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, holy shit. Like, this is a time where women really, really need content. Like, there's a profound shift in your life. And all of a sudden, a lot of magazines have abandoned them. And um, I, I wrote the newsletter. The first newsletter I wrote was kind of for me as much as my friends, because there were questions I had about, you know, should I be lifting weights or doing cardio? Which foundation or tinted moisturizer is best for my skin at the age of 50? It's, it's amazing that, that mainstream publications have just sort of decided that the midlife audience is not interested in the content because, you know, I know you know this. I'm not I'm, I'm telling you, you know, I'm sort of preaching to the choir here, but women our age are affluent. They're educated. They are savvy and discerning consumers. They've got the pocketbooks and the interest in, in, in purchasing products that allow them to thrive and feel beautiful and, and fit and healthy. And it's kind of astonishing that um, that the magazines don't get it. You know, wh why does pop culture get midlife so wrong? I mean, why, why this obsession with 36? You know, it's so interesting because I've had this conversation with women in fashion, women in beauty. And in fact, when I worked at Estee Lauder, I worked for Smashbox at the time. This was a couple of years ago. 
they made Kendall Jenner the face of Estee Lauder Cosmetics. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this, this is the makeup that my mom used growing up and I've used as well. Why are they making, you know, a 20 something, the face of this brand? I, I, I feel like culture just chases youth, which is so bizarre because as you just mentioned, the spending power of these women is incredible. I mean, like Gen Xers outspend millennials and baby boomers by 41% and 18%, 18%, excuse me, respectively, in fashion, beauty, and entertainment. So it's such a ripe audience, no pun intended. <laughs> um, and I, th- I think we're seeing a change. Like, for instance, last week, Vogue had an article, How to Care for Your Hair When You're Over 50. But that's one article. I think they're starting to recognize it, but they're probably afraid of losing their younger audience by speaking to their older audience. And I want to say that that's a huge mistake. My voice is going to get high when I get excited. (laughs) Because I talk to Gen Zers and millennials all the time, and they are really excited about what aging looks like because of us, because of how cool Gen Xers are now and baby boomers and how we're embracing this and making it a power move for us yeah. as opposed to, you know, a point of embarrassment or or shame. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely shifting. But, it, you know, it's so funny because we use Vogue as an example. You know, I have a 22-year-old daughter who I think has read a magazine once in her life. I mean, she just does not like print. And so... You know, I know that magazines have uh, sort of iterated and they they live as digital properties right now, you know, and she does follow, you know, Vogue probably on Instagram or, or their or in their their digital properties. But, you know, the the consumer base is, is, is women our age. You know, the, you mentioned fashion and beauty as uh, sort of outspending Gen X. But I know that also in other categories like um, healthcare and in automobiles and in financial service products, you know, women are making the purchasing decisions. So it's it still you know, continues to astonish me that, that people are, are, you know, ignoring this vast, vast audience. But, uh, I, you know, and I agree with you that, that it is shifting a bit. We do see women... Um, I'm trying to think who are on the cover of some uh, big magazines lately. Like Helen Mirren was on one of the large uh, magazine titles. And you, you see like Julianne Moore regularly featured, you know, Halle Berry or Jennifer Lopez. These are all women. But sometimes I, I joke and I say these women are like they're like unicorns. You know, I mean, yes. they're they're, they're uh, gloriously beautiful and wonderfully talented. Um, but it doesn't always feel doesn't always feel real. And I know you and I on the, the pre-call had a little conversation about, you know, sort of what is real about aging, what it looks like for the rest of us, and that uh, there are a lot of myths that sometimes that we hear about aging. And, and I feel like I firmly arrived in midlife under the influence of some heavy-duty fictions, right, that covered my outlook on aging. And I would love to do this myth-busting with you. You know, what are the aging myths that, that you think um, need to be kicked to the curb? My number one aging myth is this idea that women become invisible in middle age. And I don't know who started perpetuating it. And I think there was a time when it was more valid. But now when I hear women say, you know, women become invisible, nobody sees us at this age. You just mentioned some of the biggest actresses, Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer Aniston, Nicole Kidman. They're all in their 50s. I don't think they're the best benchmarks, you know, because they're like when it comes to beauty, and, and their shape, even it's almost an unrealistic benchmark, but these women are powerful and we're seeing it in business as well. I mean, look at Kamala Harris. 
I think that this idea that we aren't seen is one that when you say it, it becomes real. But if you look at it as, oh gosh, maybe I'm not being noticed by the same people, but I'm being noticed by a much different crowd. I'm making friendships with my peers that maybe I didn't make so readily in my 20s. Or women or men who are noticing me are people that I'm having more profound conversations with. If you flip the narrative and say, I'm incredibly visible in a different way than I ever was before, you'll come to understand that that's even better, in my opinion. Right. You don't have walk to walk into a yeah, I'm sorry. If you walk into a room and think, I know I'm invisible because I'm, you know, 49 or 52, that's what you're going to project, right? You're going to project, don't notice me because I'm not worth noticing. So I hate that narrative because I think when women internalize it, they live it. Yeah, absolutely. We tell ourselves stories that we then start to treat as reality versus, like I said, these like pretty heavy duty fictions. Uh, for me, one of the fictions that I've learned from really listening to the show is that uh, women are, you know, you get to midlife and you sort of lose interest in sex and intimacy. And I have had a number of shows on midlife intimacy. They perform like gangbusters. You know, women are still having sex. They're still feeling sensual. Yes, there are challenges that come along with, you know, body changes due to menopause. But one of my favorite guests was the uh, anthropologist, Dr. Helen Fisher, who came on. She's an advisor to Match.com. And she talked about the fact that, um, you know, erotic love can still um, exist in long-term marriages. And I was like, I was delighted to hear that because I've been married for a long time. And, you know, pop culture has told me, like, there's an expiration date. At some point, you're going to wake up and, like, you're not going to love your husband. And, you know, she, she has shown that you can remain long-term attraction. You know, she's actually, like, put... Um, couples in MRIs and watch their brain scans light up when they see photos of each other. And I was so delighted to hear that because you don't, I, I personally feel like that story isn't being told. What's, what's your take on that? I absolutely agree. And I love that. I wrote not too long ago in the newsletter about how women over 40 actually have better orgasms. Um, Ooh, I missed that. I missed that one. <laughs> I'm going to go find it. And I it. will <laughs> tell you that sex rates so high amongst my audience. When I write about a vibrator, you know, it sells out. When I talk about sex, it's always clicked on. The studies that I reference will be clicked on. And I did an IG Live with a gynecologist. We talked about sex over 40. And what was so interesting was that we agreed that you hit this point where you're more comfortable with your body. You're more comfortable asking your partner to do something. You're more comfortable asking for what you want. That's one of the gains of midlife, right? And whether it's a partner or someone that you're starting to date, you're more confident. And hopefully you're more confident in your body. I always say like, we may lose certain things um, as we get older when it comes to our physicality, but what we gain is confidence. So if you can, again, like look at it that way, there was a time where I probably wouldn't have sex without turning off the lights. That is no longer the case. And <laughs> I mean, I, I love that all that time I yes. spent turning off the lights in my 20s and my 30s, what was I thinking? And now look, I'm not going to have sex out in daylight probably, but maybe. <laughs> but I just have a much different attitude because thankfully I've been with someone for a long time. But I think even if I were dating, I have a sense of humor about myself, my body, I have less insecurity, and all that adds up to more intimacy. Absolutely. I love that. Okay, we're heading into a quick break, but when we come back, I want to keep exploring some of these myths. At a certain age, we love dry humor, but dry skin, no. Dry skin is one of the most common complaints of women as we age. Why? 
because our skin naturally starts to produce less oil and our estrogen levels drop. And less estrogen equals drier skin. At Cary Grand Skincare, they believe that we don't need more products as we age, we need better ones with natural oil-based ingredients focusing on health and hydration, not youth and perfection. Cary Grand is dedicated to giving our skin the nourishment it needs. With a simple three-step ritual, you'll see the difference a few essential products can do. At Cary Grand, they use only the best organic, naturally derived, and non-GMO ingredients. This woman-run company is also sustainably conscious and hand-pours all their products in Seattle. Exclusively for a certain age listeners, you can use code KATIE20 at checkout to receive 20% off plus free shipping. That's K-A-T-I-E-2-0. Head to Carrie Grand today. That's K-A-R-I-G-R-A-N. Your thirsty skin will thank you. Okay, Monica, we're back from our break. I loved what you shared about, um, you know, turning the lights off, you know, in your younger days when maybe you felt like sheepish or, you know, uh, a little bit ashamed and that, that that's changed for you. And um, something that you said earlier, too, before the break, you know, that you feel more comfortable and confident asking your partner for what you want. If listeners are, are sitting here thinking, I don't yet feel that um, confidence, I, I'm not sure how to have those conversations about what I want in my intimate life. Uh, I recommend going back and listening to the episode I did with Dr. Juliana Hauser. She literally walks us through ways to um, to share with your partner about what you want in the bedroom. And I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. But um, um, we're talking. Think, go ahead. Oh, you, no, I want to jump in because go. you brought up something really interesting earlier about these myths. And I think not having sex after a certain age is one of them. And you start to believe it because I found that there was a real dry spell with my husband. And in a way, I just kept thinking like, we're not even supposed to be having sex anymore. <laughs> a, we're married. B, we have a kid. You know, C, we're now in our in midlife. So nobody's having sex. But when you think that way, you don't initiate, um, which is another thing that comes up. I think now at this age, I'm great about initiating sex. And I wasn't before. I will say to my partner, like, what do you think? Can we get there tonight? Sometimes he'll say, probably not. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> we have a sense of humor about it. Um, we don't necessarily schedule sex, but we really talk about it um, in a way that's really comfortable and we laugh about it. Of and course. we laugh about the fact that sometimes we don't have sex. Absolutely. I love that. Here's another piece of advice from a, from a past guest. I had um, sexpert Tracy Cox com- came on the show. She wrote a wonderful oh, wow. book, Monica, that you might want to put on the screen of your readers. It's called uh, Great Sex After 50, How to Age-Proof Your Libido and Your Sex Life. And she shared that in midlife, you should look for a flicker, not a flame. And that, yeah. you know, pop culture makes it seem like you should be consumed with raging desire before you initiate sex. And she's like, the moment you feel the littlest flicker, act on it. Uh, you know, because then, then eventually, you know, things heat up. So I'm, I'm putting that out into the universe as well. Um, I love that. It's so sweet, isn't it? So tell me, what are other aging myths that we need to bust while, we're, while we've got our axes out and we're chopping them down? Well, I think the fashion industry has come to realize that putting rules out there is wrong. So the idea that women can't wear certain clothes after a certain age or they can't wear certain makeup. I mean, there was a time where beauty magazines would say or women's magazines would say, don't wear shimmer after the age of 40 
or um, miniskirts are forbidden. I mean, I remember even reading uh, a journalist saying, don't wear jeans after the age of 40 because they're not flattered. <laughs> so I hope that, you know, what we once saw has changed. And I, I think I see that because I follow some midlife influencers and I'm seeing more articles, but I think the idea of rules about beauty and fashion are out the freaking window, thankfully. Yes, I love that. No, exactly. Where where it makes you feel good. I mean, I you know, I that's something that I've embraced. And you know, I mean, things have changed a little bit during the pandemic. You know, there's fewer hard pants and fewer heels. But I, I wear what makes me feel good, and I, I feel like I've embraced color more as I've aged too. Um, you know, I, I don't know, but yes, no rules. You make I up your own rules. I right. absolutely have, and I think I mentioned this to you when we talked. You know, the fashion industry, it's funny because you see models walk the runways. They'll make a big deal of Naomi Campbell, who's, I think, a 53-year-old, I think she's 53 now, supermodel, or Kate Moss, who's, I believe, 49, or even Mae Musk, who's in her mid-70s. So you'll see them on the runways during Fashion Week, and everyone will applaud the fashion industry for showing, you know, age positivity. But then you get on sites and you don't see anyone who looks like you. And it's something I've been researching lately and just spending time on different websites for designers looking for women who look like me, women over 40, because I want to see myself represented. That's not to say I can't buy a dress or a top that a 20 something is wearing, but I want to see myself and I want to see it on me. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel very good about supporting age positive brands. I mean, I think of, you know, I was actually wandering the Argot of Tiles, a Target rather, the other day, and there was a beautiful, like, silver haired woman with, you know, visible wrinkles in a, like, a bra and panty set, like, on the big end cap. And I was like, you know, go Target. Like, this is, it's wonderful to see a woman, you know, who's probably in her 60s representing, you know, lingerie for women of all ages. So I thought that was terrific. You know, you see brands like Somersault, the bathing suit line that shares, you know, women who who just have different shapes and different sizes, different colors. I do think it's changing sort of slowly. I, I like um, Jones Road Beauty. I've mentioned them before on the show. I think they do a great job of showing like dewy, freckle face, you know, young models to, you know, women with silver hair. And their products are for women of all ages. So it's, you know, brands that that um, are age positive always catch my eye. Me too. And I want to throw in the very first newsletter I wrote, I mentioned Ilya Super Serum Tint, which I love. And it's a dewy finish. And Julianne Moore and her daughter are now, oh no, they're the face of Hourglass Cosmetics, excuse me, which is another brand that's showcasing women of all ages. But Ilya has always um, shown women, I see women in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s using their products on Instagram in their campaigns. And I support them, not just because of that. It's a great product, but also I appreciate that they see women my age. And we have different needs when it comes to skincare and beauty. Um, yes. You had me at Dewey, Monica. The moment you said Dewey, I'm like taking a mental note. I'm like, Gosh, yes. <laughs> I well, that was part of the impetus of, of, of launching Pretty Ripe. Yeah. I mentioned early on, I woke up one morning and I was like, I'm not glowing. I used to glow. What right. is going on? And I really thought about it. And part of it was psychological, but another part of it was I wasn't exfoliating enough. And I needed to really address some of my skincare needs at the age of 46. Of course. So, we have hydration yeah. issues that, you know, I've done two or three shows on skin and have featured some wonderful 
brands like Care Beauty, which you know targets older skin. Um, Carrie Gran has come on as a podcast sponsor. She's got amazing products that are very hydration focused. Um, I also love Alpen Beauty. I had Kendra um, Cole Butler come on the show. She has a, a wonderful line. It's not specifically for older skin, but she does have products in it that help. And you know, I just I feel like I've gotten better about um, focusing on. As you said, exfoliation, but also hydration, because right. midlife skin needs it. What, what's your favorite hydrating like skin product off the top of your head? I love. There's a brand, Ultraceuticals, that has a. It's vitamin B, and it's a serum. And when I put it on, I just feel my skin absorb it, and I can see its effect. I also love. Um, I love face masks. I think they are really fantastic in terms of just putting one on you know, like a half hour before you go out. But the holy grail for me when it comes to beauty is hyaluronic acid and lactic acid um, and then retinol. Nice. And vitamin C. So I said, holy grail, let's take lactic acid out of there. Let's put hyaluronic acid, um, vitamin C and retinol. Okay. Those are your friends. Um, that should be your skincare cocktail. Look for ingredient. look for products that contain those ingredients because they really do address our needs in midlife, whether it's enlarged pores or hydration or um, hyperpigmentation, they really kind of combat all of those. That sounds like a fantastic cocktail. And since I'm currently drinking water right now, because I'm trying to, uh, you know, uh, sort of cut down on alcohol, and I'm, I'm on, I do, I've been doing these sort of, you know, week to two week long. Uh, you know, w- double down on water. So that's the cocktail I'll be embracing this this weekend <laughs> instead of my usual rosé, which I love. Yeah. Um, so this is a-, a really good point. I just want to say yeah. that I have so many women who are flirting with sobriety or giving up alcohol. I'm one of them. I'm having a sober summer right now um, because I just feel like as I get older, um, the hangovers are worse. Um, probably I drink more than I want to. And I find as I get older, I just, I'm, I don't know whether my judgment's compromised. I just want to have a hell of a good time, but I drink differently. And I hear this echoed by so many women, you know, there was talk of the moms who are drinking too much wine and that whole, you know, all day rosé movement. But I find more and more women in midlife are thinking, oh, you know, this is not working for me anymore. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I I want to continue to explore that topic because I had a wonderful uh, guest on um, Lisa Smith, who wrote um, the book "Girl Walks Out of a Bar." She is. Oh, a, yeah. She's got. A, she's fantastic. She's got a podcast called Recovery Rocks, and you know, she she just uh, po- um, posed some questions during the show that really made me think. Like, am I having this glass of wine because it tastes amazing with a steak, or am I having this glass of wine because I'm used to having a glass of wine? And so I just started bringing a little bit more intention around um, my consumption. And like I said, I've been t- and some of it's actually vanity because I'm if I'm being totally totally honest, which I want to be, I'm having some new headshots taken. So I'm like, all right, this is the perfect time to make sure you know I'm not puffy. And um, but it's been great. I've been making mocktails and just you know it's been so hot. It feels good to be hydrated. But I want to switch gears, Monica, because you were talking. You gave us the the, the triple cocktail for great skin. You mentioned yes. earlier that. You you worked at Smashbox um, and um, Cosmetics early in your career, and that um, you know at one point you got to help name them. And I thought that's so fun: lipsticks, nail polishes. Their names are so you know punny, so evocative. Um, 
you know, what was that like? What was it like to work at Smashbox? And, and what is it like to build a portfolio career? Because you've done, you know, you're a journalist. You worked at Smashbox. You're uh, writing a comedy for Netflix. I've asked you a lot of questions. Let's start with Smashbox and then let's talk about your career. I have to say you ask questions the way I do, which is like, <laughs> and then I realize, oh, I've just bombarded you with questions. It's like a bowl of spaghetti, like get to the end of the strand, uh, right? You know, what was interesting was I wrote about beauty for years. And then when I worked at a cosmetics company, I realized that I did not want to write about beauty all the time, 24-7. I came to that conclusion that while it was fun to write about beauty along with other topics, strictly writing about foundation or lipstick as much as I love it was not um, something I wanted to do every single day, all day. Um, But with regards to my career... I have to say that I came to where I am now because I got fired. I was working at the LA Times. I had my very first front page story and I got laid off that day. I like to say fired because it's more dramatic. (laughs) It just pushed me out of, I guess, my comfort zone. You know, I had been a journalist for many years. I ended up writing a book with the costume designer of Mad Men. Her name is Janie Bryan, and she's now one of my dearest friends. I ended up working for Smashbox. I ended up consulting with Lionsgate and helping them build around a magazine around the Hunger Games. All these opportunities came my way, in essence, because I got fired. Now, I did pivot and I really had to hustle because once I got fired, I mean, I had to make a living. So I thought about my skills in a different way. And that was really helpful. And when you bring up screenwriting, um, yes, I did sell um, a feature to Netflix a couple of years ago. But getting back to skill set, when I first walked into the room, I have a great writing partner on that project. Her name is Jordan Roder Stodel, and she has written for TV. She's written films. And we were sitting in meetings and she would talk about her credits as a screenwriter. And then it'd be my turn. And I would say, well, I haven't done any of that. But I would start talking about, you know, writing about different subcultures as a journalist, going on press trips to Africa, being around influencers, working at a cosmetics company. And these executives' eyes would light up because I was offering something different. I hadn't been writing for screen. I had been out there, you know, exploring, again, different subcultures and writing about different topics. And it hit me that what I thought was a liability, the fact that I didn't have any credits, was actually my superpower. And I say that because when I realized that I would walk into the room with more confidence about what I'd done in the past, and I'd position it a little differently, like, oh, well, I've done all these interesting things, and I've had so much fun, and there are so many fascinating subcultures out there to explore. And I just realized that what you sometimes think is not one of your assets could be your strongest asset. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you just shared about that, because I agree. You know, I, my uh, frequent listeners will know my day job is helping you know, senior executives with their LinkedIn. And sometimes I'll hear this from people. They'll say, like, I kind of hopped around or I'm a generalist. And, and they're, they're like sheepish about it. I'm like, absolutely not. Like, you have to lean into what makes you different. You're bringing all of these different attributes and experiences and you know, lived wisdom to to the equation. And you have to make it, I'd love that you use the word superpower. You know, you have to make it sort of central to your story. Uh, right. and, and by the way, like from a very practical standpoint, you have to embrace it because if you don't, you know, you have to just sort of lean into it and embrace it because if you are um, feeling reluctant or embarrassed or like feel like it's like a debt, you know, it, it doesn't work as a career offering, then the people in the room are going to feel that as well. 
you know, and we all have our own experiences, our own stories. So you just you have to really embrace what's um, unique about yours. And and um, as you said, see it as a superpower. What are some other, I mean, I love that you've had this portfolio portfolio career. I've had it as well. Um, I've done different stuff. I've written you know, for TV news. I taught English in Japan. I worked on Capitol Hill. I've done a whole bunch of different things, some of which I fell into, uh, mm-hmm. which it sounds like you did as well. Um, you know, I, I've sort of fell into actually my LinkedIn work when I was doing content creation for somebody for their marketing materials. And they said, please help me with my LinkedIn. And it literally turned into a, a, you know, a seven-year career that I did not anticipate. Um, but if somebody is listening to this thinking, I want to be doing something different, I want to switch lanes, you know, what is some tactical advice that you would give for, for, for doing so? Um, reach out to people who are doing what you want to do and ask them just to chat. And what's great about social media, I find it's so much easier now to get in touch with people. And even LinkedIn's a great example. But I have DM'd people that I was interested in, you know, learning more about what they do, less so in terms of changing careers, but reach out to people, again, who are doing something that are working in a field that's interesting to you. And I did that with screenwriting. I mean, I did a lot of meetings with different women, mostly just asking them and men actually like, well, you know, what should be my next step? I sold a movie to Netflix, but what now? And how do I get an agent? And do I want an agent or a manager? I always came with like two questions as opposed to, you know, a wide open field because the person you're asking, obviously her or his time is valuable. So go in there with a focus or find three people and ask them all one question as opposed to 10 and let that person go deep for you on that topic. So for instance, instead of asking one person five questions, just ask her one, then find another person and ask that person one question and really drill down on that. That worked for me, um, reaching out to people. I think people are very generous too with their time. And I think people are often reluctant to kind of cold call or to, you know, maybe leverage a connection through a friend. But I, I really think that the pandemic changed that uh, equation. You know, there was, you know, let's cast our mind back to, you know, March 2020 when people were being laid off and everything felt so uncertain. And there, there really was this movement of generosity that I experienced in my own life. My clients were hearing it. I saw it happening on LinkedIn you know, as layoffs were, were, were happening in industry, as people were sharing, you know, hey, if you've been laid off, they're posting, if you've been laid off, you know, I want to try to help. Let's, you know, right. let's find time. And and it, it was wonderful to see that. And I've experienced it myself. You know, people have been very generous um, with their time, even when I started podcasting, and I've been trying to pay it forward. I've had a number of conversations with people who are interested in podcasting, if you're listening and thinking I'm one of them, you know, please DM me over Instagram or come over to the podcast website. And I'm, I'm happy to try to, you know, talk to you one-on-one or if there's a lot of interest, maybe I could do like an Instagram live on it. But I'm I'm happy to share what I learned because people did it for me. So I agree. Do you think that getting to midlife makes it easier or harder to switch gears though? Because I do hear from clients who tend to be senior executives concerns about ageism. You have obviously switched gears a number of times. Clearly the through line is is writing and communications, but you know, where do you land on whether it's easier or harder as you get older? I can probably I mean I can speak personally 
For me, it's been easier and I'm going to connect that to the confidence that I feel. I also don't take things personally anymore, even rejection, which I used to. And that would have um, inhibited me from reaching out or even thinking bigger and taking up more space. Uh, I didn't necessarily feel like I could take up space or that I deserved it. I think just knowing that by 2028, Gen Xers will outnumber all other demos Think that that's your mantra. So when you want to make a shift, all these people out there that are Gen Xers, advertisers, marketers, whatever the company that you're or field you're looking to maneuver into, they want to reach this demo. And if you're one of them, that's your biggest asset. You're speaking to your peers. You know these people. This is you. So I think it's easier because of the confidence that you earn and just knowing that you. I feel more capable in midlife than I did in my 30s, even my early 40s. You know, when I got fired from the LA Times, I was like, woohoo, I'm going out there and, you know, I'm going to hustle. I was terrified and my ego was hurt, but I came to realize that this was the best thing that could have happened to me. And if I thought of it as a way to propel me in a new direction, um, it would do so. Right. That I makes sense. I love that. I absolutely love that. That's um, that, that's been the experience that I, that I've had when I've let go of things. And I've you know, I've entered and re-entered the paid workforce twice since I've had kids 22 years ago. And every single time you're trying something new, or trying to get back into something or to shift gears, it does feel daunting and it does feel like, oh my God, is this going to work? But if you if just keep putting yourself out there and remaining open to things, um, I am. So delighted to be podcasting. I didn't know I'd be doing this five years ago. It's just like something that gets me out of bed every single day. There are, um, you know, there are, there are new things that every single listener right now can be doing. I mean, you know, I, I think that the, the show gives, um, you know, great examples of that. I've got women who've switched careers, who've launched businesses, who've tried new things, taken on creative endeavors, all right around the, the time of age where, you know, sometimes people feel if they're listening to those voices of pop culture that they're at the end of the line and nothing could be further from the truth. And I want to I want to throw out a statistics, a statistic. I love yes. statistics. Good. If I could say it, I love it. <laughs> um, there was a study out of Stanford that showed that women in their 50s who launch businesses are twice as likely to be successful than women in their 20s and 30s. And if that's not encouraging, I don't know what is. Having said that, I want to ask you, I wake up some nights with a lot of anxiety about Pretty Ripe. I'd never launched something before. So with all the confidence I have, I'm also semi-terrified <laughs> on many days of like, what's next? How do I scale up? How do I learn how to approach investors? This is not in my wheelhouse. So for me, it is a constant challenge and a learning experience. And that's exciting, but there it's tinged with fear. It definitely is. That's okay. I've sort of just accepted that. So when I wake up with anxiety at night, I don't think I'm going down the wrong path. I think this comes with doing something new. It's a trapeze, right? And when Absolutely. you jump on or you walk across that high wire, of course you're nervous. You'd be crazy if you weren't. So just embrace that and be okay with it. Do you feel that way? Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I, I feel like you know, when you said confidence, I was nodding my head because I do feel more confident midlife. But if I really had to examine what's different about me today at 52 than me at 22, is I, it's not that I'm no longer fearful of things, but I'm no longer letting fear stop me. 
it, it, you know, it's, it's that one of my friends says, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable all the time. You know, the, the, you know, there are things that you're doing where you're like, oh my God, I'm about to walk out on stage. It's 2000 people. Like, am I feeling great about that? No, but I've done it. And I've learned that I can do things that I'm afraid of. And that being, being uncomfortable, being fearful, feeling trepidation is not the deal breaker it used to be. It's just, you know, it's life. You know, we're never always, you know, there are times when you're you're completely comfortable and confident, but I guess my point, like to what you're saying, like I, I feel like I can walk side by side with things that with fear, and 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 I don't have to feel like things are perfect or buttoned up to keep going, and and that is something that is new for me, and I'm delighted because it makes me feel like anything is possible. Yeah, absolutely. You put it so well, and when I feel particularly scared of what's next. Sometimes I just sit down and write down what is the worst thing that happens if I fail? You know, what, what really happens? It's good things have come out of failure for me, but like, if this doesn't take off in the way that I wanted to, I will have met so many women, made so many contacts, um, hopefully empowered women in a way, and maybe inspired other women to speak to my age group, our age group. And, and that's a success. So I try to look at it that way and think to myself, like, nothing's going to happen if you fail. It's not going to be an ap- apocalypse because <laughs> we right? Like, right, exactly. I love that. This is the perfect, perfect note to end on. We're going to move into our speed round. But oh, I'm, I'm nervous I, about this. No, no, this one's okay. fun. This is fun. So, okay. Uh, launching Pretty Ripe was? Easy. Nice. You were just featured in a Time Magazine article about online shopping. What's the last item that made you hit add to cart? Uh, Samba Adidas sneakers. Ooh, I love it. Okay. You say there are no rules when it comes to fashion. What's an ageist fashion dictate we should all ignore? That we shouldn't be showing off our knees or our thighs or midriffs. We should show anything we want. I agree. Exactly. All right. Let's talk lipsticks. Favorite lipstick name from the Smashbox days? Oh, God. One Night Stand <laughs> was really fun. Um, what was another one? Take Up Space was a great one. That was before its time. I'm trying to think of a really fun one. Nothing's coming to I mind. I like Take Up. No, we we're sticking with Take Up Space. That's like a, yeah. that's a mantra. Uh, not just a lipstick. Okay, a lipstick brand or color that works at any age. And this is hard because everyone's got different skin tones. But like, what do you think is just like a go-to brand where you're going to find something that looks amazing? It's hard for me because I buy three to five lipsticks a month, if not more. Um, L'Oreal's Ferris Nude, which I have written about, is a lipstick that I find works for most everyone. We'll also mention that Charlotte Tilbury's Pillow Talk is great. Although it can be a little drying, but the color is amazing. NARS Dolce Vita, you will never go wrong with that color. I could go on and on. Oh, my God. This is amazing. I'm putting those all in the show notes. I also love, there was a Jennifer Lopez nude that L'Oreal did. And then, you know, they discontinued it. I have bought it on eBay. Okay. Not used, used, brand new. (laughs) But I am very loyal to my brands. Um, Clinique's Black Honey still works. You probably wore it in the 90s. It's oh, still I, I still have that. I think I, I applied it like yesterday. Yes. that that's. You know what they discontinued though is Pink Honey, which I also really liked. Which I is, love that too. And I, I'm aware of that discontinue and I don't like it. We need to lobby them. Bring back Pink yeah. Honey. Um, okay. An over 50 fashion icon or over 40. It doesn't matter. We're not going to be ages here. You can pick any age you want. <laughs> um. 
I would say Zandi Smith. Are you familiar with her, the uh, writer? No, I'm not. Um, she's a novelist. And if you look her up, her first book was White Teeth. Uh, it's phenomenal. She's one of my favorites. Uh, in terms of actresses, uh, I really love Helen Mirren. I think she dresses fantastic. Julianne Moore, because she plays with monochromatic looks a lot and she wears clothes off the runway, but makes them her own. Nice. I agree. How about you? Who's your icon? You know, that's so hard. I'm trying to think. Um, over 50 fashion icon. I'm like literally drawing a blank here. And I'm so happy I'm not answering the speed round questions. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll, maybe I'll come up with something and put it in the show notes later. Okay. I could write about this topic again and again. Oh, um, lipstick. I can tell. Uh, if I never have to write about this midlife topic again, I'd be happy. I was going to say dry vaginas, but I like writing about dry vaginas. I don't think there is a topic in midlife I hate writing about, except some of those false narratives we talked about. That makes sense. I I don't like retirement planning. I don't want to talk about that because it makes oh, me nervous. Yeah, I have yet to talk about that, but okay. um, so I get it. Like, yeah. All right. Who's... I have done no retirement planning either, so <laughs> not something that I'm an expert on. It makes me anxious. Okay. Who is up next for your Instagram live series, Women Who Turn Us On? Oh, Dr. Aviva Rome, who is a hormone specialist. I also have uh, Melinda Lee Holm, who is a tarot reader, but also has a new beauty line, as well as a book out talking about bringing practical magic into your life. Oh, very cool. Okay, Monica, finally, your one word answer to complete the sentence. As I age, I feel. Great. <laughs> I mean, I really do. I don't know how else to put it. I could say Right. But I really feel one word is hard. I'm more like myself than I ever have. I really do. I feel like me. That's a perfect answer. I love it. Monica, this has been so fun. I'm going to check out all of those lipsticks because I, I don't buy three a month. I buy like three a year. So I need some help. Um, before we say goodbye, though, how can our listeners find you and Pretty Ripe? You can find me on Instagram at Pretty Ripe. But you can also find me on my website, prettyripe.com, where you can then click to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. And it's fantastic. Everybody needs to hit subscribe and have this uh, fun read in your inbox. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. This has been so much fun. I don't want to stop talking, but I understand it's <laughs> All right. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Join me next Monday when author and former Stanford educator Julie Lithcott-Hames joins me to talk about adulting and her books, How to Raise an Adult and Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.